Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Idea of all time, season five. Oh, where's my notebook? Oh, there it is. I've got it. I've got everything I need. I got my friend Guy. Do you know who put that notebook there? You did. Yeah, that's right. Fucking legend. We've just watched Emmanuel's Revenge, one of the seven made for television French softcore pornographies. My immediate question is, who is Emmanuel taking revenge on in this film? Well, it's a good question. It's more like there's revenge and Emmanuel is involved, but it's not necessarily Emmanuel's revenge. It's actually the revenge of Shalami or Salome or whatever that woman's name is. It's Shalome, as in Timothy, but um, mispronounced in various different ways by George Lazenby, who we discover in this installment is, uh, his character is called Mario... And he is French. He is French, obviously. So it's crazy to me that he wouldn't be able to pronounce Charlemagne and He's... instead insists on calling her Chalami or Chalami. George Lazenby is an Australian born and raised model turned actor who I believe was British later in life. And at no point does he adopt a French accent, but he is indeed a uh He's not just he's not just a Frenchman, everyone. Mario in the Emmanuel series fights for the British Army. He's uh, some sort of intelligence officer. He's a spy. And um if you're if you're worried that we didn't get any World War Two flashbacks in Emmanuel's Revenge, rest easy knowing we spent the final third of the movie in the year I'm gonna guess nineteen forty three. Yeah. And George Lazenby's Mario is uh, he's been called up for an important spy job by Eisenhower. Oh by, no, he's got to deliver messages to Eisenhower's personal assistant in Washington. But I feel like we're jumping the gun here because that's the the final third of the movie. Yeah, I'm just sort of look. I'm 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 traipsing around the place. I'm 
I'm picking up sort of shiny objects that were left on the ground by Fair the enough. film. I'm inspecting them. Yep. I'm turning them over. I'm putting them back down. Shiny object inspector. Shiny object inspector. I would say that Emmanuel didn't take any revenge. I would say the revenge was actually Mario's or George Lazenby's in this film where he finally, after at least four and a half hours of listening to Emmanuel Rabbit on and on with her horny reminiscences, said, do you know what, actually? Yeah, and a lot of those stories did not make any yeah. sense. He said, do you know what, Emmanuel, you senile wench? I've got some fucking boned up anecdotes of my own. Yeah, hard out. And he wasn't lying either. He cracked out a fucking good yarn. And to, to Emmanuel's credit, she sat back and listened. Um, this is the first time that we've had Mario share one of his tales. It's also the first time that he's had a name. George Lazenby's name is Mario. As he he had a stri- he, I immediately knew that we were going to experience something special from Lazenby in this movie because very early on, Emmanuel says something fairly innocuous, like, "Oh yes, I've had champagne before," and he says, "Oh." You're impossible. You're you're impossible. <laughs> it's like it's like George Lazenby's trying to do a Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, but every time he says it, whenever he says something, like, you're impossible. Or you're incorrigible. It's always like her just sort of rat- rattling. Oh, around. Emmanuel, you're unbelievable. Exactly. This story is sensational. They're never sensational. But this, he always says they are. He, well, this is what makes him the perfect companion on a long flight. I would be asleep. I would be asleep for the Have entirety you got, of the flight. Here's what I would do. I would go to my doctor, tell them I have anxiety about flight, and then they would prescribe some very strong sedatives for me to calm me down. I would take two of those, a glass of red wine, I'm out before takeoff. And, You're out uh, before takeoff? Well, do you remember that happened once when we went to Los Angeles the first time? Yeah. Do you remember that? I pretty much fucking fell asleep into my food tray or something, and I was knocked out for the entire flight, and I woke up feeling so well rested <laughs> as we taxied into I always, I always make it to after dinner, after the dinner service. Yeah. I actually really miss flying, but what I wanted to say, Tim, is um, do you have a friend who is, is like Lazenby in this film who is just like, a phenomenal listener and someone who you know you can sit them next to anyone at a dinner party or at an event and they'll just sit there and they might be listening to some punisher just you know rattle off boring innocuous details or stories and they're but they're just like and they're they're fantastic and they actually they're an encouraging listener and they they smile at the right times and they are genuinely engaged for whatever reason there's some people who I've met recently who I think are like new friends, and and there's one guy in particular I'm thinking of called Hugh, who's just got a he's got that energy to him. He seems genuinely enthused by any I, anecdote you I, bring I his way, describe, or anyone brings his way. I described him recently. Like, Chloe and I were talking. Chloe's the person who I'm I'm trying to get her elected. I'm helping out yeah. with her campaign, and we were talking about Hugh, and she said he's such a nice guy, and I said yeah, he's got a the soul of a tree. And she said, yeah, that's right, he does. He's just very calm, very kind of nurturing energy. Does he smile when you talk to him? Yeah, but not overly as well, you know? He'll give you good cues. My oldest friend, Jono, is one of the most incredibly encouraging listeners I've met. Really? Anything you tell him, he will receive with great enthusiasm and build upon. It is like the most remarkable trait, and it is something that you've correctly observed Lazenby possesses in his character as Mario. We should all try and foster that, eh? Because I think you've got that to an extent, not like supernaturally, not Hugh level, but I I, I definitely think you've got that. You can... 
I can whatever ball and run. But with I it. can also. Ch- I I mean, I'm sure everyone tunes out, but sometimes someone will be someone will be talking. It's their extrovert introvert thing a little bit. I think. Hey, eh? it's like, yeah, because a lot of people can have that ability, but it will tire them out. But for some people, it's their default position, and it almost energizes them to kind of just receive people's stories and and run with it. I remember. I'm all, I'm actually quite interested in like uh, listening and and um, ways to improve it or ways to find value or interest in everyone because it's pretty easy to just stay in your lane or like you know if you meet someone who immediately presents as boring to to write them off, but you just I've always thought you just got to ask keep asking questions until you find the thing that they're really passionate about or interested Hard. in because yeah. that's where every single person like that's where sort of humanity converges I think where it's like they're passionate about. Um, licking envelopes in the same way I'm passionate about making people laugh or something but it's like if you get them talking about why how they found out they love licking envelopes and like you know their their best experience licking envelopes and has it ever gone chaotically wrong yeah it's like you're away because they're invested and if someone is interested in what they're talking about I mean it's a cliche but there's a there's a much higher probability that it will be interesting to whoever's listening absolutely I think that that could solve a lot of problems to society, actually. If we were just like, yo, tell me about something you fucking love, man. Well, that's... I, and we led with that rather yeah, than like, yeah. you've got that great joke you did last night about us insisting on asking athletes what they think about geopolitical situations and then hauling them over the coals when they get their answers slightly wrong. Yeah. It's not where they're spending their time. Ask, ask them about sport. <laughs> yeah, ask them about how they learn to catch so good. Yeah. It's actually, it's not... But we don't even really... I feel like we don't even do that because whenever I see athletes, right, I tune out. I, I consider that boring because it's always some sports commentator being like, you know, tell us about the current season and how, how the squad's going. And they've got to give a pseudo-political answer as well because... They do give very political answers. They know, like, athletes... I think it's because they also, even within the, like, in, internally uh, self-created political system of sports... If they speak out of turn, yeah. then they get raked over, you know, the insular coals that they have within that totally system. And yeah. so all of them give answers saying, well, you know, we tried our hardest. And, and also, you know, you will have noticed they tried their hardest. And yeah. it's just one of those games, I guess. There were two gonna, halves yeah, in this game. Everyone's going to do their best. And However, if the commentator got, or the announcer, whatever, like y- y- you've got a... a sweaty rugby player coming off the field post-match and uh, instead of asking, you know, how was the match for you and getting some stock standard answer you've heard 50,000 times before, it's like, hey, um, why do you play rugby? That's a great one, isn't it? Why do you Why do you play? Why, do you, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> World Cup. It's, a world, it's not like the final or anything, but it's... it's a pool um, game. Pool, we're in pool play. They've won narrowly. Say, like... Um, I don't know. A try got converted at the end for the win. It's like it was, it was a squeaker. Score, yeah, it was a squeaker. And then, uh, yeah. So someone who like didn't contribute any any points on the board, um, yeah, gets asked by the commentator, just like, "Hey, congratulations! Why are you doing this?" And they're like, "What do you mean? You're like, why are you playing rugby? Well, it's my job. It's um. But why is it your job?" Why did you yeah. decide to we need play to, rugby? We need to broaden the scope of questions that we're asking. I guess not just our athletes, but but one another. 
we just get trapped in these cycles of like because everyone is experiencing this year more than ever everyone is experiencing the same thing and so how are you is a much bigger question than it traditionally was it's also kind of redundant in new zealand because everyone's default answer would be not bad which is hilarious because we can't even say good I always we're not. It's not even that we're lying, always, which we are. Yeah, it's yeah. also that we have to say not bad, which actually makes it less of a lie. I actually rise to any "How are you?" and I nearly always give the person much, much more depth and uh, response than than they ask for. That's good. I ca- I I cannot help myself but do it. Oh really? If like it's, it's not something you're engineering. It's like a peripheral. Yeah, it's anyone up to the level of peripheral friend. Yeah. And sometimes I like I I I, I go to a cafe near my house and yeah. I was um buying a sandwich from this cafe, and the woman said, oh, "How are you?" And I was in whatever frame of mind I was in that morning. I was like, "Well, you know, I feel like I'm on the upswing, but I'm." It's just been a really brutal couple of weeks, and this poor woman is like, oh, "Yeah, I do feel for her in this yeah. story." She's Even like, "You're I, telling of it." She's like, "I'm just doing my fucking like, very courtesy, you know." I literally, have to ask you. But we actually we had a good conversation, and at the end of it, um, she gave me a donut and said, "Hey, this might help cheer you up." That fucking rose. Yeah. I feel like you'd be able to vibe it. Not everyone can, you know. Yeah, because yeah. what you could do is you can throw out that. Like a slightly longer answer than And you can than still normal. pull back within it. You can pull back. Yeah. But some people they I, I often find um on hallucinogens mm-hmm. you know when you, you, you transition from a group you hang out with people who are also on hallucinogens to like a wider group of people, some of them who haven't been with you the whole time or who aren't on hallucinogens. you know, like Are you thinking back to that time I, that party like a few months ago in my backyard? There is an instance of this, but it's it's broader than that. I've experienced it a few times. And all of a sudden you're talking to someone who's not on the same trip as you. Mm. And I'm like, I'm like the oscillation in my mind of how much is too much information to shit, you know, like finding the balance. It yeah. doesn't always happen, but sometimes I'm like, am I talking too much about my experience or not enough? This or? is why everyone, not everyone, this is why everyone who kind of can safely should be doing psychedelics because it builds so much empathy in you. You're mm. constantly, you're just like obsessed with making sure that the other people around you are sweet ass. That's, yeah, that's part of it. And another part of it is just um, you f- the throes of euphoria while everything around you, the concept of it collapses and it becomes very hilarious that we abide it every minute of every day otherwise. It's a really good time. Drugs. <laughs> Try them. I wrote some notes. Did you catch my set last night? I didn't see the start of that it. That was, it was essentially. Oh, you've already seen me do that joke, but it was. Um, I've got a very pro drug, but I'm trying to get on TV at the moment. I don't think it's going to fly. Do you know what you can do though? What is they could say, um, "No, nah, we can't have that," and you say, "Okay," and then you can just do it. Yeah, it's you know it's tricky. It's tricky. I'm wearing a lot of hats. Um, she found <laughs> yeah. a scarf in a toilet. Yeah, what do you think about that? I think I, I'm not into that. I, I'm against. She for context, Emmanuel and Lazenby are talking, and you feel the 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 momentum shift in the storyteller, and it's like this is where Lazenby's putting his hand up to say, "I've got anecdotes too," you know. And Emmanuel says, "Excuse me." So she she didn't just find this out in the world in one of the seven continents which she insists upon visiting. She found it in an aeroplane toilet. Yeah, that's the first class. To be fair. Well, we don't know where she went to do her dirty deeds. If you're flying first class, I think you're going to the first class toilet. Yeah, I don't think true. many people from... Like, that's not the way that that 
works. I don't think we've talked about this much yet as well, but the first class that's depicted in the Emmanuel made-for-TV films, which all came out in 1993. All seven of them. And by the way, we went to Africa in this film. I'm convinced that for seven films, we'll visit the seven continents of the world. And that a lot of... Where have we gone? Asia, Africa, Europe. America. We've almost ticked it. When were we in America? North today? America. He was, on the, he was in a hotel in Washington. That's true. That's true. Asia, Africa, North America. Have we been to South America? We've been to Brazil at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but that, was that in the TV movies, though? I think that was oh, in the before that, yeah. ones. We've not been to Australasia, we've not been to South America, and we've not been to Antarctica. They better get their cute little butts to Oceania slash Australasia, or I'm going to be furious. Um, what I was saying, I'm though, tired of this erasure of New Zealand from the Emmanuel. <laughs> they'll probably go to Australia. They'll probably like, and that's okay too. Fuck in front of some kangaroos or something. Um, the first class that they have in these kangaroos planes, are just fumbling around with their cocks through their with their hand in their pouch. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a kangaroo, mate. It must or, be quite a sight to behold. Never seen a kangaroo jerk it either. Are they able? Well, there's they, very few animals that can masturbate like we can. Really? Well, well I, know, I don't know. I, 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 know that <laughs> I don't know. I just made that up. There's that unrelenting piece of trivia that always circulates, which is uh, humans and dolphins are the only fucking mammals that have sex I've with I've never pleasure. believed that. I, I struggle to as well. It cannot be true. But, like, think of that viral video I think we might have spoken about on this, of the frog jerking it, the, the, the monkey jerking it with a, a frog. Yes. Sorry, um, that pause you heard was me coming in my trousers. It was a coffee burp. Um, Both equally disgusting. Simultaneously. A bit, it's your version of a burp snart. Yeah. <laughs> um, Coming and belching coffee at once. But I think a kangaroo might know how to masturbate. I like to think. I all, reckon we would have seen it more. I like to think all of God's I creatures seen know that. how to get themselves I've off. I've spent a long time on the internet these past 20 years. I would have seen that by now. I would have seen a kangaroo masturbate. We are circling back to sexualizing kangaroos. With surprising frequency in this series. I think this is the second time it's come up. And you brought it up the first time just because you're obsessed with those big jacked boys. Yeah, beautiful. Fucking massive arms. Kangaroo Jack. (laughs) More like kangaroo jerking off. (laughs) Google. (laughs) Hey, Bixby, show me a kangaroo masturbating. If you found a scarf that was made of silk and a... Airline First class toilet. airline toilet. Would you take it? Would you wear it? Would you put that on your naked skin? No, I would leave it. There's also a like episode about- of Oprah Winfrey that really stayed with me, where she talks about poo particles. Did yeah. she have doctor? Did she have a doctor on it? She did. I can't did he remember. He talk which about one. stool health. Oh, it might have been that episode. Yeah, it was, that sounds were, like a Doctor Oz thing. Yeah, eh? and you want to have a—is that guy disbarred or whatever? Like deregistered? You want to have your your stool? Uh, ca- look, uh, in an S shape. Dr. Oz is, is a piece of shit, eh? That guy's a fucking charlatan. What's he... Well, this is the thing, man. No Everyone's way. like, Oprah's our saviour. We should elect Oprah to be president. I don't know, man. She fucking... She's enabled some pretty bad peeps. Dr. Oz is full of shit. He's basically the goop of, like, not as woo-woo or rich people. He Yeah, he was, he was up to mischief with... This most recent uh, global, I think, I think he got a bit caught out by COVID, which a lot of um, you know pseudo doctors did. 
Yeah. This is the thing. I was even thinking, actual doctors have struggled with it. So well, of I don't know. The pseudo doctors are up against. It. I, yeah, that's true. That's true. I think he um, might be like a chiropractor or something, or an osteopath. Although I found out recently online, according to one person, so I really should check this before I go spouting. But so osteopaths in all basically other parts of the world, it's it's about like manipulating people's um, skeletal systems, their bones and stuff, especially your spine to kind of bring you good health. And I'm very sorry if I'm missing out big parts of osteopathy. For your health. Yeah. But in so everywhere else except America, you kind of like, you do a, like a health science style degree, but you don't do like a, a medical degree in the same way that you would a doctor would. But you do, they, they use the title doctor, um, which some medical doctors take a bit of issue with. But in America, apparently it's way more extensive. So, like, osteopaths actually get quite a lot of um, the whole medical background. Oh, I see. Because I was railing against the fact that... um, I'm not getting into it. It's too boring. There's chemtrails on the plane. That's cool. Haven't seen them in a while. What's the history of chemtrails? Well, Prince told everyone they were real. And then we were like, maybe. If Prince is into it, I'm into it. Truly? Purple Rain. Prince is the guy who started that? It started for a lot of people, I think. I I I don't. I mean, every everything I've heard, I first heard from Alex Jones. <laughs> all of this kind of stuff. So I don't think he necessarily made it up, but I think he found it as a very obscure theory, I assume, and then boomed it out in like the early two thousands. Is Alex Jones still broadcasting? I think he is, man. I think he might be facing a bit of legal trouble. With this is. <laughs> I started following his wife on Twitter a while back. They were going through Far a out, very man. messy divorce. Really incredibly messy that makes a lot of sense sure does you were like you were early on that you were fascinated by him as a broadcaster before he went totally off the rails so this is i've told this story but i'll tell it again i worked in breakfast radio for my first gig in radio what are we how are we going because you don't have a lot of time for this session, no we're you? good we got I, I got i got time i'm just checking you keep talking you know how you were telling me about the ideal listening partner and how they would sort of just absorb the story and egg you on? I've got to say, looking at your watch just as I'm ramping into the start is the opposite. Wow. I'd feel worse about it if this has not happened to me countless times <laughs> where I start telling something and you're like, oh, this is a good excuse to, <laughs> to prepare my next statement. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that the vibe? No, I mean, I, I genuinely was checking because I was thinking we should probably discuss some of the movie, but we've got yeah, time for true. everything. Um, so get get going, get gone. First gig, first professional gig in radio. I was I was doing breakfast radio, and it kind of turns your brain to mush because I was getting up at about four thirty a.m., getting on my BMX, Legend. real cold. How real, old are you? Tw- uh, 22, 22, Single or in a relationship? Single. You must have been an icon. BMXing to your breakfast radio job at twenty two. Who is this guy? I was producing. I wasn't hosting or anything. On so, air? Uh, I, I was like, no, I was not an on-air producer. Okay. Yeah. I was um, producing for a broadcasting legend from this country who has sadly passed away called Kevin Black, who I think to this day and forevermore will hold the record as the highest paid broadcaster in Australasia ever because he was like number one when radio was at, at its peak. What was he pulling down? I don't know. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna guess like close to half a mil, and that's like the figure, not adjusted for inflation. And this would yeah, have been yeah. in the nineties. Um, yeah, 
It's a lot of money. Um, so, uh, did he in, wear a in, lot of in, jewelry? Nah, nah, nah. Did he wear fine shirts? Um, no, pretty restrained with the shirts. He lived in a gated community in, um, like, kind of Epsom in uh, Remy Wera. Mm. Um, fucking, I would come home from the shift, so I would knock off at about noon. Um, cause we'd do the show and then I'd be doing prep for the next day's show and I come home and my brain was just like fucked up. So I kind of go to sleep during the day, which really messes me up. I'm not someone who can nap very easily listening to Alex Jones to like drift off to. And then that's a crazy choice. This is a very passionate orator. And then, um, a lot of times I would, uh, do like stand, you know, open mics at night it was fucked up, man. So my hours were all over the shop. My brain was turning to mush in the way that I was like unwinding is, after are, a day was listening to vintage Alex Jones broadcast. So many miles from the sort of very trendy lad about town who I was imagining as you peeled off to oh, no. on their producing role. It was a horror BMX. show. Yeah, yeah. It was an absolute you horror were living show. living in a nightmare. And then got made redundant after the seeing the year out. We all got made redundant because that was the GFC. Mm. Global financial crisis got us. 
it's somewhat to do with Mario. Is he telling the story right out of the gates? He is. Yeah, he is, he because is. it's his nephew who is the film director. Yeah, so uh, I, I prefer calling him Lazenby to Mario, so I'll continue doing that. Lazenby yeah, no. kicks back and he says, I've got to tell you about this time I was um, playing poker with this woman, Shalami, in uh, <laughs> Africa, in an unspecified part of Africa. And... Uh, He's sitting in this sweltering pub, and this woman walks in, and she says, uh, do you know how to work a phone? Oh, sorry, can I just clarify something? So is Lazenby there? Yeah. He's in that bar. I don't think he's... What, so he's, I don't, he's I telling his nephew's anecdote? No, no, no. because he does, he's she doesn't he, meet the nephew till a little bit he's after. He's telling his story. He's I, in the bar. Because remember, because she comes in and she says to the barkeep, she says, do you know how to work a phone? Yes. Book me a first class you, ticket to New York tomorrow. Yes. And bring me a beer. Yes. Very cool. Incredibly cool. And then she sits down, she says to Lazenby, he says, you, you're going to go? I don't want you to go. She says, I'm going to go. That's right. One last game of poker. What are the stakes, What guy? are the stakes? If she wins, a bag of diamonds. One whole pound of diamonds. If he wins, him and his brother get to fuck her right there and then. And they play poker. He wins. Yes, two pair with a queen kicker. Yeah. They enjoy, the three of them enjoy a, a tremendously unhygienic, but what does look to be a thoroughly enjoyable good time on one of the bar tables. And then... Lazenby's back in the, he's sort of presumably chubbed up underneath his suit trousers while he talks to Emmanuel. And just quickly as an aside, I'd like to say Sylvia Cristel, who's been with us through all of the films in this franchise so far. It's incredible, like, the way that across these films and my relationship to her as a character, she's gone from being this, like, deeply uh, erotic and sort of... um, longed after figure of virile, you know, feminine sexuality. And now... Her entire, she's her and Lazenby are on level pegging, and it's pretty much just two senile figures on a well, first class I think flight. That's a bit harsh, just reminiscing. She's very like matriarchal now, and she's, you wouldn't dare kind of frame her in a sexual. No, no, you know, times have changed. Yeah, um, Dude, she would she would be a lot younger than Lazenby though, right? Like, abso- absolutely, actor. but I think because all of their scenes are together, and they are yeah. purely, you know. Uh, in terms of story, they're just there to frame every every movie and, and exist in flashback. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, so they're back there, and Lazenby's all chubbed up, and he's saying, and "You know, the craziest thing, she had a flush. She would have won. She would have won. She had the winning hand. She had a winning hand, and she just he, she said, "What have you got?" He showed his cards, and she said, "You win." Disrobed right then and there, and they had this fantastic looking sex. And Tim, you were you were saying, "What the hell, man?" Like. Why did why it's a pound of diamonds? I mean, a pound of diamonds is worth a lot of money. And I said, well, that's not what she wanted. She wanted to have sex. But you're saying, yeah, but she could have had both. Yeah, exactly. The guys wanted to bone. She wanted to bone. I don't even know why they play poker. Just some I guess while away actually, the hours, isn't it? It's sort of otherwise. It's quite. It seems like a, a um, like paying for sex using diamonds. But if you use sort of the mechanism of a poker game, it kind of makes it a bit more interesting and and. Uh, um, obfuscates that. Am yeah, I saying that word right? Probably not. Obfuscates. Obfuscates. Tricky word. What do you mean? If the bag of diamonds is involved, it's like paying. 
I think it's like if you're playing and the stakes for one person is I guess she money didn't want the and diamonds. the stakes for the other person is sex. Yeah. That's the paying. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, I don't want to get held up on that because we've got to talk about James the butler. Yeah. So this <laughs> this uh, we, we open with this scene and then this uh, Charlemagne, she flies to New York and um, immediately goes to visit late. Lazenby's nephew, who's Lazenby's also the same nephew. age as Lazenby in this movie. Yeah. But that can happen. Yeah, yeah. Families she, anyway, are different. She walks, she walks into this advertising agency or this set. It's actually, he's he's an ad director who's directing his first film, and there's this very cool guy sitting there with glasses on. He doesn't at that stage, though. This is the thing. He has a transition. So initially, he is a furious little fuckboy. He's like a little frustrated virgin man. Um, and he doesn't have glasses on. He gets cooler later and they put glasses on him. But initially, he's just like this little ball of pent-up sexual energy. Yeah, he's he's a cuckold. Two consecutive well, scenes, this guy loves. He, he tries his hardest to bed Charlemagne, and she's like, nah, you're a little rich boy. Um, you're a little spoiled rich boy. She like tells him this to his face. And he's like, what is happening? What is this? How dare you speak to me like this? And she's like, nah, you're a little rich bitch. And then, fuck, it's so good. So this film director, James, has a butler. This, this is, is how rich he is. Yeah. The butler is an, I would say, septuagenarian named, um, what's the butler's name? <coughs> I wrote that down, I think. I, it doesn't matter. Oh no, maybe the butler's James, actually. Fuck, I don't know. Yeah, the butler's James and the other guy's Stephen. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so so Steve, so so anyway, the butler, and this happens so so frequently. The 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 like the um the help because all of the characters in these movies are wealthy and they always have some sort of service person at their side. Yeah, and so here's a here's a movie director who has a butler, a butler. dressed in like butler tails. So it's very class oriented eh? on set. At all times. I guess it makes it easy to like subvert class expectations yeah. and stuff. And the the butler watches as Stephen, this young rich boy, gets Get like fucked up. Absolutely rejected. Face. And then they go so um Charlemagne, this absolute goddess who is pursuing a, eventually a modeling career through their acting avenues of advertising and movies. Um so she's called this rich man a fuckboy to his face and then she and the butler go to a different room and the 70 something year old butler just absolutely goes to town on her vagine. It is, it is pretty it's I mean they seem to be enjoying it, but it's pretty nice. He's sort it's of like so a pig funny. in a trough. He's it's got his head between funny. her legs and he's pretty much just going <laughs> I am not a crook. And yeah, exactly. And uh and meanwhile Stephen is watching from behind some sort of very thinly veiled curtain and it's really you know, he's going, This is incredible, what's happening here? And there's this crazy scene where the butler offers Charlemagne while he's having sex with her from behind a beer. Fuck yeah, dude. And uh, and Charlemagne says, yes, that- salami without a bear is like a joke without an ending. And then the butler's like, okay, we've got a bit of a riff going here. I'm going to get on this train. And while still mid-coitus, he says, or a slice of melon without port wine. And then Stephen's like... Okay, I'm going to reveal myself in the shadows because this is a riff I'm not going to miss. And he <laughs> steps into frame in the light while they're having sex and says, or an ad agency without clients. <laughs> and they just keep fucking, they kind of ignore his offer. And he's like, I've got more, I've got more. And he goes, a film without a star. And again, they ignore him. And then he's furious and he says, a butler without a master. He is bombing and then he <laughs> starts taking swipes at the audience. It was 
absolutely bizarre. There's a lot of bizarre moments in this movie, but let me say this. This movie is, without question, the best Emmanuel we have seen. Why? Since probably, like, after the first two. Why? I'll tell you why. Firstly, because of that. I loved the fact that Charlemagne, who was, you know... um, cast as this object of everyone's affection. She is the de facto Emmanuel for the first act of this film. And the butler gets to just fucking get get in with her. It's really nice. I love that for both of them. I think it's so cool. I think that rules. Secondly, the phone sex scene is honestly the most successfully erotic scene in this franchise so far beautifully done there are three distinct acts to this one so the first one is Charlemagne the second one is uh, they're on so this ad director Stephen this sort of cuckolded ad director is directing a feature film and on the plane Lazenby and Emmanuel are talking and he goes well it's actually about to play oh no she says it's going to play and he's like already doing the aeroplane rounds and then the screen comes down and everyone on the plane is sobbing as they watch this World War 2 story oh well except we should get into Japanese men on the plane later yeah, well, I mean, we've actually we've we haven't left ourselves a lot of runway to, to cover the the incredible amount of ground this time. covered. Do you know what? I think we just do a longer episode this time, and we, we just won't do the other stuff. When do you have to jet? We got time for, to get into this because I feel like this we've is got important. Se- we've got seven minutes. Oh, that's not long. All right, we can do it. Take it away. So they watch this movie on a plane, which is directed by Stephen, the cuckolded movie director, who is Lazenby's nephew, bear in mind. And it turns out that the movie that he's directed is based on Lazenby's experiences in World War Two. Pretty cool. So we see them watching the end of this movie, a film within a film on an airplane, and all of the women are crying. <laughs> and this Japanese man, who Tim is pretty sure is God, who yes. represents God, is just dozing. But he's like... He's up to heaps all the time. You don't see it, but there are always these pensive shots of him looking around very sort of coyly, all-knowing. So they watch it, and um, then Emmanuel goes, wow, it was incredible. And Lazy goes, well, it's not actually what happened. You want to know what really happened? Oh, and she goes, wow, it looks incredible. Oh, he, no, fuck, it's so crazy. He's like, wow, those guys are really good actors. It looked like they were in love. And Emmanuel, who was on set at the time, yeah. for reasons unknown, is like, well, you'd think that, but it turns out they were deploying a technique called acting. <laughs> and things were a little more tumultuous on the movie set than you'd realize. And so we then go into the world of the movie being made and the two leads, the romantic leads, one of them, this British man who is portraying Lazenby, who, remember, is French, and the other, <laughs> the romantic lead is this woman, and they do not like one another. It's the final day on set. There's a rap and uh, he's relieved to be out of there. And the woman who's been playing the romantic lead is Susan, I believe her name is, is like in love with this guy. And this guy doesn't like her at all. And Susan deduces the only reason that this must be the case is because he's gay. Well, he also is gay. He went to a gay nightclub when they were all out. And he, yeah. He I was, mean, yeah, yeah there, there are a few, a few things suggesting that might be the case. But undeterred. He says at the rap party to Emmanuel, he says, oh, well, I'm glad this is over. Now I'm going to go do a, a really cool movie in Mexico. Yeah. And then Emmanuel says, so we followed him to Mexico. Yeah, secretly. They booked rooms in the same hotel that he was staying at without telling him. Emmanuel and, and Susan. And then Susan was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, te- I'm going to kick the wheels on this theory that he's gay. Now, what guy has also felt, and he's doing a great job, I will add, but I, I just remembered that also the reason Emmanuel is there is because Emmanuel knew the mother of the actor and she died. 
for some reason. Yes. Which was tragic, but she suspected that her son might be gay and she wasn't very happy about it. So for some reason that means Emmanuel has to follow up on this lead. That's right. So Emmanuel is a massive homophobe towards men. She's well, totally open she's... to all sorts of different sexual uh leanings she she's actually when she talks about it she's like not speaking in super judgmental terms but she's like look the mum thought he was gay and she was not happy about it she wanted him to be a ladies man yeah and so so i had to go and see yeah, what was so, up but the mum's dead yeah and yeah. the mum's a homophobe and Emmanuel's yeah, was like true. so i'm gonna fucking follow this up for you <laughs> i better carry on this bigotry yeah. and so her and susan follow this actor to his hotel in mexico they stay in a different room and emmanuel's bought a variety of crazy wigs and ordinary underpants She's so fun. And Susan, who really wants to have sex with this guy, disguises herself, Amanda Bynes, and she's the man style, as a fella, and traces him to a bar, shows up, starts necking tequila at the bar. I did say before the sequence kicked off, I said it'd be so cool if they dressed her up in men's clothing and taped her tits down. And they did. They did exactly that. She starts necking tequila. This actor also starts necking tequila. They go back to his place. They start hooking up. It's getting hot and heavy. She gives Tim him a and I job. are wondering about the ethics of the situation yes. because they're having relations under false pretenses. Yeah, and also, time. there's an inevitable discovery here. If this continues to its logical endpoint, mm. he's going to find out at some point. And yay, verily, he does. And how does he respond? With hysterical laughter. She's put two mandarins and a banana down her underpants, and when he discovers that, he is struck with the comedy of the situation and overcome with they lust. They have bed-shaking coitus, an explosive orgasm to the sound of a thunderstorm, and afterwards, they take out the mandarins, they look at them, they look at each other, they laugh maniacally, and they gobble them down. <laughs> no harm done! So listen, now we're in Act 3, World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> How did they put this movie together? I don't know. The only thing gluing these stories together is Lazenby and Sylvia Christel on an airplane just swapping tall tales. I'm going to run, like, we'll run out of time if I try and string, because my, I, I can't remember how it all strings just, together. Just, but Just outline the joys of the, the phone sex. Thing. So there is a beautiful relationship. So there's a guy. It's not Lazenby. It is Lazenby. It's yeah. Lazenby. It's young Lazenby. Young Lazenby is a, an officer of the French... Either intelligence or you know yeah, yeah, yeah. military and he's been posted community. up somewhere away from his wife. He has. He's he's got orders to pack his bags and go. So wife and he have sex. He leaves now while he is away. White we find this out later, but I'll tell you now. Spoiler: uh, she fucks a bunch of women while he's away. So that makes what he's about to do more morally acceptable. But he didn't know. He didn't know at the time. But and still, he was pushing a line. Listen, but- I got to get to it. Okay, Hold on. Yeah, yeah. So he <laughs> develops a relationship with the phone operator, remember we're in the early 1940s, like the switchboard operator who's he's having to deal with to get these communiques back to his um, intelligence higher-ups. And they um, sort of have this very flirtatious relationship on the phone, which eventually leads to a phenomenally well-done um, scene uh, where they have a bit of phone sex where she says look I, this is highly inappropriate I'm very embarrassed but when we had to use your services to translate a French message the other day and I heard you speaking French it made me feel certain feelings um, you know and, and she says am I going too far he says no no it's quite fine and then uh, she asks him to say something in French and he says what would you like me to say and, and she says tell me something you would tell your wife and he says oh well, how about I recite a French poem Poem, says, like a, like po- I like would a poem say before, before we make yeah. love, 
And uh, this, I mean, that's hot even, stuff. Even hearing you say this, it is all really, um, it is all, I don't want to say classy, but it sounds quite, it's, it sounds quite, you know, romantic. It is. And in fact, I think it is. Before we well, leave. Well, like he's cheating on his it's, wife. It's, yeah, that, that part is obviously no good, but it is like, it's very restrained, I yes. think is why. Because it is, you're watching these two people navigate this sort of, they're, they're, the, the, they're tiptoeing around it's the negotiation of consent as well. There's a, a really yeah, a beautiful underplayed, understated back and forth that that's, ends in. That's what was so sweet about it. They're both checking in with each yeah. other throughout, and being fact, like, "Is this okay? Is this okay?" I've got to nip out, but she before ends I do, up jacking off yeah. furiously to this French poem. You stated multiple times that you're a big fan of this scene. It's a triumph of cinema. It's a triumph of softcore pornography. And before I leave. I've just got a boner inspector you. Oh, yeah? I, I, un, I like, uncross my legs like you're going to have a look at my penis. Oh, sorry, I mean boner patrol you yeah. as, as the boner inspector. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get a boner in this movie. Neither did I, but God <laughs> damn it, I wanted to. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.